loose ball. Ewing goes up. The basket counts. He gets it over to the doctor. Tie ball game. Here's a shot, Julius. He, he scores! He scores! Anthony for three. Bang! That one goes down, and the game is tied. Here is Durant moving on Tucker. He turns. He shoots. Yes! Knicks, Nets, and all things across the association. This is Pick and Pod on WFUV Sports. Hello and welcome to a very special edition of Pick and Pod. Along with Julia Moss and Ryan Gregoire, I'm Colin Lochran. Ladies and gentlemen, we have some free agency news to talk about, some big trade news to talk about as well. Really, since the finals have ended, it has been a roller coaster in the lifespan of the NBA. So much to get to. I'm pumped for it. But before we get to any of it, Ryan, how are you doing today? Colin, I'm great. And let me say, this is the first time I've ever been on Pick and Pod. Um, it's a long time coming. I don't know how. I've slipped through the cracks. I love basketball. I love the NBA. And this is, the NBA offseason has become, I think, must-see television in a sense where there's just so much chaos. And there's a lot to get to. Don't get me wrong, but this would be fun. And there's no other crew I'd rather do with you guys. I mean, this is this is going to be a great show. Yeah, I'm excited to be here as well. Um, to say the very least, the NBA has been very active in free agency and trade. So I'm really excited to get going with you guys and, and discuss everything that's been happening. Absolutely a dream team to work with here. So much to dig into. So without further ado, let's start in Brooklyn right by that special place known as the Barclay Center. There's been a lot going down recently. Of course, the first domino that we all heard about, if you haven't heard about it, you've been living under a rock, sad to say, KD has asked for a trade or demanded a trade. I have problems with the vernacular use. He asked for a trade. There's no <laughs> such thing as demanding. You can't demand a trade. He's under contract. He politely asked for a trade as far as I'm concerned. After Kyrie Irving, his partner in crime, opted in for the 2022-23 season. The latest report is that Sean Marks and Joe Sy, that terrific tandem that Brooklyn fans love right now, are still making moves as if they're going to be on the roster next season. The first domino, which we were talking about a little bit before the show, so I want to split this up into moves they've made in anticipation for these guys coming back versus the potential packages they could get for Kevin Durant. And Kyrie Irving, because let's be honest, if KD goes, why would Kyrie want to stick around? He's going to want to push his way out as well. The first domino in all this, they acquired Royce O'Neal from the Utah Jazz, little-known guy, good defender, big, strong, physical, nothing really special. But they acquired him for a 2023 first-round pick. So you're throwing away your future for a role player that can help you out. Other things they did, re-signed Nick Claxton, two years, $20 million. Resigned Kessler Edwards. I liked that move quite a bit, regardless of what happens with KD. And you added TJ Warren, 15.5 points per game, 4.1 rebounds, 50% from the field. That comes to the expense of letting Bruce Brown walk, of course. But overall, Ryan, I'll go to you first here. What do you make of the situation in Brooklyn broadly? So it's just wild, first off. And I guess to start with what you said, where it looks like they're planning to keep them. I understand why that's a report because that's what one, the Nets should be saying to the teams that they're leveraging with. And two, that's how I guess you want to convince those guys to stay. And it looks like you talk about the Kevin Durant domino. It's funny because he feels like the number one domino of 
free agency and it still hasn't fallen. We have no clue. We really don't. We'll get into the packages and stuff later, but I really don't have a great feel on the situation and just what the moves the Nets have made is the reason. I brought it up right before the show, but the Royce O'Neal trade was shocking to me because he's a good player. And if you are a team that's going to compete for a championship, that's a move that makes sense. I would say giving up a late first for a good role player, but if the Nets look like they're blowing it up, which I know, you know, the report you're talking about, that's still very much on the table. If they do blow it up, why would they make that move? Because they already traded all their first round picks, the Rockets for James Harden. And if you're starting a rebuild, that's a pick you want if you're not going to be winning games. So when that move was made, I believe it was right before Kevin Durant, uh, you know, that report dropped by Shams that he, you don't like the word demanded, whatever you want to say, politely asked for a trade. <laughs> It's interesting timing and it's moves like that that don't really give me a good sense of what the Nets are trying to do because all indications from the players, Kevin Durant specifically, is that he wants out the reports and what the Nets are doing is the opposite. So, Colin, I honestly, it's really hard to read. And I think whatever happens will be surprising, no matter what move the Nets direction they go. And I think it's going to be something maybe not really on the table as of right now. Yeah. Um, the net situation is really insane. I think I, I'm going to push back a little bit on the idea that they're making this trade because they want to keep, or they think they are going to keep Kevin Durant and Kyrie Irving. I think it's more telling that they're trading away a first round pick, because if you look at it, if they're expecting to trade Kevin Durant, you're going to replenish those first round picks as soon as you trade him. So I think getting that role player who probably honestly will given that the Nets roster blows up like I think it will, he's probably going to get a bigger role, and that first-round pick will probably be worth it in the long run, given that Kyrie and Kevin Durant leave. And if you look, we're going to talk about the Rudy Gobert trade later, but if you look at that trade, I can't even imagine the amount of first-round picks the Nets are going to get for Kevin Durant here. Yeah, they definitely should get a King's Ransom in return for a player of Durant's caliber, according to what was more than half the teams in the association called to find out what the deal was, what they'd have to give up. Uh, one of these packages, apparently, that Brooklyn had wanted was Carl Anthony Towns and Anthony Edwards. There's no way that was going to happen. And uh, this, yeah. right? Yeah they, yeah, I they wanted all of that for Kevin Durant. I give them credit for asking. I think you have to ask if you're the Nets front office because, let's be real, the guy signed an extension for four years. You thought he was going to be your future. In Brooklyn, not just your present. You came basically a shoe size away from making an NBA Finals run last year. This year was horrific. I mean, the offense looked completely out of sync. I have to say, if they stay, like if Kyrie and KD stay, my theory since day one has been if this team is healthy and they're on the court, they'll be contenders, especially now that you added TJ Warren. I liked Bruce Brown. I think TJ Warren is an upgrade from Bruce Brown, given what the Nets yeah. want to do on the court. Like if the Nets tried to play a defensive style of ball and they kind of gave into that side more like what Boston's trying to do, then yes, you keep Bruce Brown. For what for what Brooklyn's trying to be, TJ Warren is an upgrade for them. You still have Joe Harris, who by the way, everyone forgets he's like the lost man in Brooklyn right now, but he's very good when he's healthy. 11.3 points per game. Can come off the bench if you wanted to start a guy like Seth Curry instead. And really from behind the arc, he's a threat. So if you have Kyrie, Harris, guys like this, you could run it back and win a championship, which is partly why I'm confused about Kevin Durant. Like, I grew up watching this guy in OKC. I know you guys did as well. You're the Kevin Durant guy, though, Colin. 
Yeah, and I would still pick him over any star in this league, but the way he's gone about handling this is a major head scratcher. I just don't know what to make of it. The guy's fighting on Twitter with people that he doesn't even know. He's trying to defend himself. In all honesty, all Kevin Durant has to do is say, listen, I don't like how the front office handled the Kyrie situation. So far, he hasn't flat out said that. I would like if he came out and said that, quite honestly. He, the thing with Kevin Durant is he picked this team in the city. Like He picked building this exact team, this coach in Brooklyn, in New York, all his business set up. This is his team. That's where I agree with you, Colin. I don't understand that. I completely agree. If they're healthy, they're no worse, in my eyes, the third best team in the East, if everyone's healthy. And I, I think I completely agree with last year, a shoe, a shoe away from possibly winning an NBA championship. And they never got the, the true big three with Harden. And obviously that is now out the window here. But even with the core they have now, you mentioned TJ Warren. That's a perfect fit off the bench, give you scoring, you know, 100% what they would look for if they were contending. I never, first of all, I never understand what Kevin Durant, he's, he's a strange guy. He's usually outside the box. I, I love his usual transparency on social media, but to your credit, to your point, this has been a lack of transparency. What is the specific issue? Can the Nets fix it? There's a lot of questions inside of the Kevin Durant camp. And until those are answered, maybe they're answered internally, but publicly without knowing them, it's all speculation. And I, you know, you see him pushing back on that speculation on Twitter, but I think until we really know the deal, it's fair to kind of just wonder if we're trying to put the piece of the puzzle together. Yeah. Um, I think the only thing that really like super confuses me about this whole situation is like the sequence of events in which it happened. Like I did not think Kyrie is going to opt into his, his deal and then Kevin Durant was going to ask for a trade. But if you look at the reason that Kyrie and Kevin Durant came to Brooklyn, I don't know. It wasn't really to build a team back from adversity they really came here. I mean, Kevin Durant coming right off, you know, his time at Golden State came right in, won some championships and, and got to leave going to Brooklyn. I don't think what they wanted was to have to fight back from a bad season. So if they can't find that in Brooklyn, it does not surprise me they want to find it somewhere else. Julia, you're a thousand percent right. They're not the type of club that's used to adversity. We saw it this year in the playoffs when they get a little bit of pressure put upon them. They don't respond particularly well. All I'm saying is last season, you were fourth in field goal percentage. You were 11th in pace. A healthy Kyrie plus TJ Warren, Kessler Edwards, a year older with a healthy Joe Harris. You might have half a shot at winning the East. You have more than half a shot. This is, is, and this is Kevin Durant, as you said, when he's on, Giannis is probably the only player in the East that could even go toe to toe in that sense, in, in the way that they, their styles work. So if you're the Nets, it makes all the sense to do everything you can to keep this core together but at the same time, if it's not going to work here, I don't understand where, where Kevin Durant goes and it suddenly falls perfectly into place. We know the Warriors are the place where it previously worked out. But if he wants to do it his way with his team, I think it has to be in Brooklyn. That's that's how I see the scope of his career. If we want to go long term, the legacy, I think to, to do it on your own, it has to be in Brooklyn right now. It's a great segue to another point on this Broad issue. I mean, really, this just has layers to it at this juncture. Kevin Durant's top choices for where he wants to go are the Phoenix Suns and the Miami Heat. Of course, they're the number one seeds. He basically opened the door to hate on that one. (laughs) I don't see him going to either of those places 
Because if I'm a general manager, not saying I am, but if I am, and I hear that Kevin Durant wants to come to my team, aren't I on the phone trying to figure something out with the Brooklyn Nets? And now that Devin Booker is signed to his max extension, the chances of him going are zero because due to the NBA rules at play, he cannot be traded to Brooklyn. It's just not happening. And if I'm Joe Sy and Sean Marks, I'm not giving up anything but the kitchen sink for Kevin Durant. So I don't think he's going to Phoenix unless they really just gloriously botch the bag. How about how about this this potential deal? DeAndre Ayton, Mikael Bridges, and four ones. Did the Nets say uh, yes to that? I would say yes to that. I don't think the Nets are going to say yes to that. They're not really? high on Ayton. They're not. I don't think the Suns. I don't know if the Suns say yes to that. What, what Bridges is for that team, like there's no more perfect fit. They're the best three and D player, I think. In the league, I agree with what you're saying on Aiton, but that's still a really young big with a ton of upside. So that that's the package where you're giving up obviously a ton, but it's Kevin Durant. So that's funny that you you would say no if you were the Suns. You're saying or the Nets. I don't I don't think the Nets would do it. I would say yes personally. I, I just don't know what package you're going to get that's better than that. But we can go well, through them. I mean, look at what they were asking from Minnesota. Yeah. They wanted Anthony Edwards and Carl Anthony Towns. That would be a, a good replacement for the production you get from a singular Kevin Durant, but I'm just not sure they're going to get that. Julia, is there any team that's willing to give the Nets what they want? It's a great question. Um, and honestly, I respect the Nets for really like holding out and, you know, wanting to get what's best for them instead of really listening to Kevin Durant here. Cause I know Kevin Durant, like, of course he wants to go to the top two teams in the NBA. That's just, that's just who he is as a player. And I really respect the Nets for really being like, hold on now. Like we have to get what we want for the future of our team. So I really respect them doing that. But as far as, I mean, I just keep looking at this go bear trade and, you know, Kevin Durant is miles ahead, I'd say, than, than go bear. I just don't know what team has the picks. I know the Nets have been saying like people should get creative and bring in a third team and then it could get a little complicated there. But as far as, I mean, the Thunder, I mean, they have a ton of picks. I mean, that's the only, really the only team that I think has the actual, like, arsenal to get a package there if it's just a team-for-team trade. But I really see this being like a three-team trade to actually get Kevin Durant out of Brooklyn. It's going to have to be a circus act from the Brooklyn Nets to get KD out of there. One more bit of Nets rumor mill here. Has to do with Kyrie Irving, someone that has certainly been at the top of the news cycle each and every week for a variety of reasons this year. He wants to go to L.A. It's pretty apparent he wants to be back with his boy, Braun. Whether or not that actually works is a different issue. I don't think it would work. They tried to run it back again, personally. I just you don't think, think it, the Lakers would work? I don't think the personalities would mesh as well as everyone's thinking it would mesh. I know where Kyrie's coming from. Oh, I'll be back with Braun. We can win a chip. And I know where LeBron's coming from. Oh, it was so good when we were in Cleveland and we won that championship against the Warriors. Maybe we could do that again. It never works out as well as you think when you try and run back an old dynamic that's been played out already. I'm wondering if this happens personally. I think Brooklyn wants to do it. I think they want to ship him anywhere but Brooklyn. I think they'd like to keep Kevin Durant and get rid of Kyrie in a perfect world. The problem is you're not going to be able to do that. It's never but a perfect world. Oh, absolutely. As we know here in New York, also great. We haven't <laughs> seen a basketball championship since the seventies. So I'm wondering right off the bat, Ryan, are they going to get rid of Kyrie in some way? And if so, is LA the spot? 
I agree with what you're saying where the Nets, what they should want to do if they had the choices is you build around Kevin Durant with the new nucleus. Just too much happened with Kyrie last year with the vaccine, not playing this, that. I think it's just played out. I, I don't see him returning to Brooklyn. I was shocked, honestly, that he accepted the option. That looked more like he couldn't find someone to give him that max, which is justified. I would not feel good giving Kyrie Irving the super max with his lack of availability. And you mentioned LA and you mentioned that relationship. Well, Colin, let's remember how that relationship ended. It was not all sunshines and rainbows. It was the same thing where Kyrie wanted out. And this is when you've been to the finals four straight years and things go different ways. You could be two, three-time champions. So nothing is ever perfect in the world of Kyrie Irving. I don't see it. And I don't think he's earned the right to to go anywhere. And you assume it works. You you have to assume it's going to fail because that's what's happened all three places he's been at the end of it. LA makes sense from a market standpoint for Kyrie, from a win now standpoint. So I get that. I think you'd have to get creative because would Russ come on the other end? The Nets want Russ. Is that Katie Russ? You talk about old relationships. Are they going to do that? That seems like an NBA 2K deal, not an NBA deal. So I think we'll see what happens there. Um, I feel like though the Lakers, it feels like at the end of the day, they will probably end up with Kyrie Irving. That's what my gut is probably leaning towards now. Yeah, I completely agree with you, Ryan, in a, in a sense that Kyrie opted back into his deal, not because he wanted to, but because no other team wanted right. Kyrie wanted. Um, I see Kyrie going to the Lakers only for the fact that LeBron James wants him. And thus far, it seems like whatever LeBron James wants, as far as superstars, the Lakers make happen. So for that reason only, I think Kyrie absolutely is going to the Lakers, whether or not for Russ or who it's for. I don't know, but Kyrie is definitely headed out of Brooklyn. And my guess is hundred percent to the Lakers. Man, Kyrie, for someone that says he's so progressive, he's reverting back to his old form, going back to the X out in LA, reminiscing about the good days in Cleveland. Definitely a lot to hash out in terms of what happens with the Brooklyn Nets. We'll be here to talk about it as always, but it's time to go up to Manhattan, Ryan and Julia. We got to talk about the New York Knicks. They're always in that news cycle as well. The headline I'm thinking for these Knicks is, we're trying. Listen, we hear you and we're trying. It's been years since the Knicks were really, really good. They had that great playoff run two seasons ago. Kind of ended on a sour note. Got demoralized by the Hawks in five games. But you made the dance. Last year, you took a little bit of a step back. Fans weren't happy with how Thibodeau treated the younger players. But front office, Leon Rose and company say, we got you. We are trying. First domino to really fall in this Knicks picture, in my mind. You sent Nerlens Noel and Alec Burks out to pasture to Detroit. You cleared some cap room there. You traded your pick on draft night for future picks and some cash concerns. Then the big move came. You got Jalen Brunson, a true point guard, signed him to a four-year deal worth $104 million, average 16.3 points per game, 4.8 assists, This is the pure point guard that New York Knicks fans wanted. The guy also had 21.6 points per game in the playoffs. Those are the type of numbers you'd like to see if you're a Knicks fan. You also signed a big man who I'm very fond of, Isaiah Hartenstein. Two-year deal for him, worth $16 He's the type of big that's got a little bit of a jump shot, really good on defense. I could see him being very effective for this Knicks team. In terms of the returning cast of characters in New York, Mitchell Robinson is back, a four-year deal worth $60 million. Also, Jericho Sims coming back for the Knicks. Fan of him. 
Absolutely. Ryan, I know you're the Knicks fan in the bunch. I'll give you a first crack here. The Knicks are looking like they're making some moves. Yeah, um, this is already a better offseason than last year. The decision to just run it back last year has set them back because they're almost having to redo those mistakes. You mentioned the Noel contract, the Burks. They caught a little bit of lightning in the bottle in that magical run that you talked about. And I think that was a big mistake to really the only thing they did was replace Boak with Fournier. And then with the kids weren't played, it was a mess of a season. And what they do this year, there's one guy they identified. And there's never been a bigger lock as of a month ago than Jalen Brunson would be a Nick, right? We all knew it. The smoke, the smoke was unbelievable. You hire his dad, your agent's son is his, like just ridiculous connection after connection after connection. We've went through them before. We don't need to again. So, you know, you can say a lot about him uh, four for one Oh four off the bat. It might make you take a step back, but this is the 14th highest paid point guard, right? This is what the market is. So for a guy who in the playoffs showed he won game as the number one option. He dropped 40 points against the Utah Jazz. Luka Doncic was hurt. Jalen Brunson was the go-to guy in a few games. So he, he's someone who, given a bigger role, given the ball more, which he didn't get in Dallas, this could be the floor for him, what he did last year. And then you look at this deal where it's a great contract. So there's some talk there about what, what you know the value is, but you have to make that move. What other options are you going to be able to get for – cheaper. It's not the way the point guard market works. So you pair him, you get rid of those contracts. Kemba Walker as well was another salary that they dumped in the off season. And then Mitchell Robinson, I'd say was the other big move four for 60. That's the 15th highest paid center. I'd probably put him around the 15th best center in the NBA. So that looks like it's market value there. You do that. You talk about, you know, if they give Emmanuel quickly, some of the younger guys, more opportunities, RJ Barrett takes another step. You're looking at possibly returning to the playoffs. A lot needs to go right, but the pieces are in place. I think Colin to where it it makes more sense. There's more continuity than there was in terms of what we actually understand that what we have right now isn't a championship team. So we're going to go out, get, be aggressive because that's not what they did last year, but it's what they did with Jalen Brunson. So overall, I think I I am a fan of this move. The, The Knicks community, I think overall agrees um, but you know, we'll have to see what happens because it doesn't matter once you step on that court. I think this is the most structured and NBA team like rebuild we've seen from the Knicks in quite some time, which I think is a good step in the right direction. However, I don't know. I just feel like the Knicks have been doing so much to get Jalen Brunson, you know, their draft moves and then the four year 104. Is it worth it? I don't know. We'll, we'll definitely see. But when you're when you're the Knicks, you need a point guard. You've got a good point guard. I think you have to overpay him to get him to come to, to the Knicks when you look at, and it is a market right now, like you said, Ryan. But my question here is, I don't know, from, from a perspective of someone who's not a huge Knicks fan, why is it so difficult for the Knicks to get a superstar to come in when they, like, they're a New York team, one, the biggest market in the world? What is missing here? We could do a five-hour podcast on that. If you want, uh, that is the, I've actually done a podcast just on that before uh, a while ago, about a year or two back after the, the Katie Kyrie debacle. Um, but it's, it's the reality of the situation, I think for a while. And now I think it's flipped and you look at how many first round picks they have. There just isn't an opportunity right now. And there is not that, you know, clear cut guy to trade the farm for and everything like that. So I think, by making these kind of moves, you're hoping that you have the flexibility down the line. 
It's a good question though, Julia. And as of right now, we still haven't seen it, but you look at the point guard market, what superstar was there? They had to make an upgrade. They couldn't run it back again. So if this was, I think the best move available, you give him what the market is right now and you worry about the rest later. So to answer your question in a short answer, I think things are changing, but they're not there yet for the Knicks. Gotcha. You know, you know that's an age-old question. Why can't the Knicks attract a superstar? But I'm not so low on Jalen Brunson. I don't think this is settling. I think he's going to be really good for what Thibodeau and company want to do offensively. They're a very half-court-based team. We saw flashes of them being a little bit quicker paced when they played the young guys, but I'm not sold on that happening next year necessarily. I think that if you're sticking to the half-court set offensive style that they like to play, Jalen Brunson's your guy. He's going to be able to run a whole lot of options off the pick and roll. You put Hart and Son in there in certain situations, you have another three-point threat. And everyone forgets R.J. Barrett is going to keep on growing. We have not seen him hit his ceiling yet. I mean, this is a guy last year that was carrying the team offensively for stretches. I was at a game when they played Miami. He dropped 46 points. He was the one guy you could give the ball to consistently and be like, all right, go score. You need that type of player on your roster. I think Brunson's going to be another one of those type of players for the Knicks. And you held on to Julius Randle, who, yeah, for better or for worse, has his moments, but he's guaranteed 15 points a night. On a really good night, he can get you close to 30. This team's going to be better offensively than they were a year ago. I believe Fournier's still around as well, who set the Knicks' single-season record for made three-point shots somehow because that's Evan Fournier's record now for all the history in New York, but I like where this team is going. If they can recover the defensive identity that they had two years ago and then use what they have now to bolster what they already have cooking offensively, the Knicks can compete for the play in at least. I wouldn't be surprised if they sneak towards that six to five, five or six range seating wise. Yeah. I mean, two years ago, you talk about they couldn't get a bucket late. And last year, they could get a bucket late. They couldn't get a stop late. So you have to find the middle ground here. And hopefully Derrick Rose is healthy. I think that's a big thing that people kind of forget about last year. You did not have Derrick Rose for like 90% of the season. You get him off the bench to be that guy. And with Jalen Brunson, a huge upgrade. I brought it up earlier, but you drop 40 points in a playoff game, you can get a bucket. And that's exactly what he did last year. So it's revamped to your point. Colin and I do agree that people you know are low on Joan Brunson but this is what I brought it up earlier this could be the floor what we saw last year and if it is this might be one of the best contracts in basketball so you have to look at the upside here because now with this expanded role there's a lot of potential for him to continue growing as an NBA player yeah I agree I think the potential is definitely there for the Knicks to really take a, a big step this season and especially you know the season after that my only concern here is, you know, you look at the Knicks and the guy leading leading the charge here with Thibodeau is not exactly the best at developing players. So I'm a little concerned about that. I mean, it was a huge storyline last year and their lack of success. I feel like, I don't know, if I'm the Knicks, I'm a little concerned about bringing in Jalen Brunson and the continue, continuing development of RJ Barrett. And of course, you know, there's so much young talent on this team I don't know if Thibodeau is the guy to really take this team to the next step. I agree. And that, I think that's a question for another day, but I do agree with that statement, Julia. This is a hot seat year for Tom Thibodeau. This is most definitely a hot seat year for Tom Thibodeau. So buckle up, buddy. I don't know if you're going to have your nice job next year. You're going to have to maybe 
develop some young players, let Obi play, let Quentin Grimes yeah. go out there a little bit more. I mean, my God, try something new. But this is a hot seat year for Tom Thibodeau. No question about that. Really, as far as the Brunson signing goes, I did an interview for FUV with Thomas Ayala with Mark Furman of The Post. We had asked, I told Thomas, I have to ask this question. I have to ask if we're going to bring Brunson on board. Because they hired the father, Rick Brunson, to be on the staff. And he goes, you know, I wouldn't bank on it. A couple weeks later, the Knicks got their man. Jalen Brunson is in town. The Garden will hopefully be eaten soon for Knicks fans. We're going to shift a little bit here towards that Western Conference. A lot going on on that side of the country as well. We've stuck New York-based for the most part. Let's look over there. The Utah Jazz traded Rudy Gobert to the Minnesota Timberwolves. T-Wolves sent Pat Bev, Malik Beasley, Picks, some other guys. This is going to be interesting for the T-Wolves and for the Jazz at that. Really, Utah trying to restructure the whole thing. There was a lot of reports about tension between Donovan Mitchell and Rudy Gobert. I think that's where this trade stems from. And then on the T-Wolves side of things, you now have Anthony Edwards, Rudy Gobert, and Carl Anthony Towns on the same team. So you have two bigs and a guy that can basically do it all who's growing into his own each and every night. Julia, I know you're excited to dig into this one. I'll give you first crack here. I'm thinking this is going to be a win for the Timberwolves insofar as you're already better defensively than you were five minutes before the trade because you're adding the three-time Defensive Player of the Year award winner. I can't see how this really goes wrong defensively. I have questions offensively. I agree. I think defensively they definitely upgraded, but I think the success of this trade is really contingent on how Carl Anthony Towns and Rudy Gobert mesh as players together on the court. And this is a pretty big risk if you're looking at Minnesota. I mean, they literally traded their entire future for Rudy Gobert, which Rudy Gobert is an amazing player. And from what I've heard from Minnesota fans, they really just want to be good. Like they're not really concerned about getting a championship next season because they've had so many seasons where it's just like not been going well for them. I think if you're a, I mean, yeah, if you're a, if you're a Minnesota fan, you're excited about this just because you're definitely making the playoffs. Like you're definitely a step ahead. Now what you had to give up for Rudy Gobert, that's what I'm a little more concerned about. If I'm the front office, I'm holding my breath that this works because you literally gave up five players, one being your pick in this year's draft, along with four other first round picks and a pick swap. It's, it's risky, but I think it is a move that Minnesota needed to make. And the the roster definitely took a huge, huge upgrade. I'm all the way out on it. I couldn't disagree with this move more from, and defensively, yes, but offensively, Carl Anthony Towns is best when he's stretching the floor as a five. When he has to stretch the floor as a four, things get a, a little more funky because then you don't have that big advantage because every power forward can shoot threes now in today's NBA. And I don't know what needle this moves. And I guess, Julia, if the point is let's just be half decent, let's fall into the playoffs. Like, and I, and I, I agree with you. I think a lot of people in Minnesota actually feel that way, which I think is insane. Um, you know, and I'm a, I'm a Knicks fan who hasn't seen my team be half decent, but why the standard, all right, like you locked into the playing game now, which you still made last year. That's what this move does for me. I don't see the needle. It moves. I mean, you give up four firsts for a guy who's getting $200 million, huge contract, 38 million a year for Rudy Gobert. And I know he's a defensive player of the year, but I don't see this really moving the needle enough to where you see they gave up. 
it just set the market a ton for Kevin Durant, as we mentioned. If Rudy Gobert is four first and essentially five with Walker Kessler, what the heck is Kevin Durant going for? So I get, you know, the Jazz, whatever, like they're going into a rebuild. If they're not, they're retooling around Donovan Mitchell. I'm a fan of the move from them. Get as many picks for Danny Ainge as you can get because we've seen with the Celtics, he can hit on a few of those. He's pretty good at the draft thing. Um, but I don't see where this needle moves with the Timberwolves, which is why I'm not a big fan of it. The fit is funky. It seems like it was this guy's on the market. Let's go grab him rather than this guy is a perfect target. Let's identify him and do what we can to get him. And that's what I think they should have targeted. Now they have a good core. You know, they're starting five now. D'Angelo Russell and Edwards, Cat, Gobert, and that small forward spot still up for grabs. Maybe Kyle Anderson. That's a good starting five. But that's not a that's not a top four seed in this West. That doesn't move the needle enough for me. And I guess it's kind of a a sad way to view it. Is well, does this help you win a championship or not as a failure? Because making the playoffs is cool and all, but that's just how I see this trade from my perspective. And people in Minnesota may feel different because of what Julia said, but I don't think that should ever be the standard. I think it moves the needle defensively. But, Ryan, I also think you're correct in that overall, in terms of trying to win a championship, it does not help. Like, what, like what seed are – like, are the Timberwolves going to be the sixth seed now, avoid the plan? Like, is that best-case scenario? It, it very well may be. Yeah. I think that's all people are shooting for in Minnesota right now. I mean, they gave up a treasure trove to get Rudy Gobert. I have the full list here. In terms of players, it was Malik Beasley, Patrick Beverly, Walker Kessler, Jared Vanderbilt, Leandro Bomaro and a package of picks. Here's the picks. This is quite a list of picks, by the way. <laughs> I, if this, Ryan, Joel, you both brought it up. If this is what Gobert brought back, what can you get for – I mean, really, unprotected first in 2023, 25, 27, a swap in 26, and a top five protected in 29. Now, here's where I would push back a little bit in terms of production. This does make you better. You're adding Gobert, 11.7 rebounds per game. That's around what Cat is giving you now on the boards. I think you're going to be a very physical team. It's almost like they're banking on Anthony Edwards to continue growing in such a way that he's that type of superstar that can just elevate the entire team offensively around him. He, he averaged 21.3 points, 4.8 rebounds, 3.8 assists. Those are really good stats, of course. I don't know if Anthony Edwards is a true Batman so to speak. That's where my concern about this move comes into play, where I get that they want to move the needle towards making the playoffs more consistently. But if we're talking about championship hopes, you're going to have to run into Steph and Clay. You're going to have to run into Luka Doncic. I'm not sure if Anthony Edwards can carry the offensive load on his own each and every night because the Timberwolves were at their best when it was him and Cat getting it done. And Cat is a little streaky offensively. You're not getting 20 yeah. points at a Rudy Gobert. I don't know what you, if you think you're getting 20 points out of Rudy in a playoff game, you're out of your mind. So I, I don't, I don't hate the move, but I also don't think it makes you the team to beat. Really quickly on that too. Uh, sorry, Julia. I'll just go quick here. It also clogs the inside a little bit and, and Edwards dynamic driver of the basketball that gets rendered now when you have a guy who can't space the floor at all. So I'm interested to see to your point. I don't think he's a Batman either. I think he could be a Robin down the line on a team that's a legitimate championship contender. But this is it for the Timberwolves. Like, this is your core. This is the group you believe can, can take you wherever you want to go. There's no real flexibility now because you're maxed out 
you're paying two big men $75 million. The cap's 120. And that doesn't include the contract you have to give Ant and D'Angelo Russell's money. So this is it for the Timberwolves. Yeah, the fan in me loves the fact that two bigs are going to be leading a team. I do. I am like a fan of that at heart. You know, growing up being a Memphis fan with the grit and grind era, you know, this definitely, this doesn't really remind me of like grit and grind, but it definitely reminds me of just like big men being the, you know, the face of the franchise in a sense. Um, but to your point, Ryan, before saying that you don't think like Rudy Gobert was like, I guess the perfect fit, I completely agree. And to the point of this not being a great trade, you're looking at what you traded for without knowing anything. It looks like you literally found like your perfect player for years to come, but that's just not the case. So I don't think that what the, what the Timberwolves gave up is going to be equivalent to what they're getting back in Rudy Gobert. It's going to be fascinating to see how this unfolds out in Minnesota. Also interesting to see what Utah does from here on out, maybe they're in the Kevin Durant sweepstakes. Maybe not. We know they want to build around Donovan Mitchell from this point going forward. Guys, we've talked a lot about those headline deals and moves. I want to go around the room here and each say one signing or trade that we were either a fan of or that we didn't like at all. Julia? Uh, the trade that I was most a fan of, I think, and that's going to help a team most outside of like the headline trades was DeJounte Murray to the Hawks. I think it was a great trade for the Hawks. Like they didn't give up, they gave up enough for it to work, but not too much for it, I guess, to not work. I really think that they're going to benefit a lot from DeJounte Murray and, and he really wants to compete for a championship. That's his big thing. And I think he's going to be able to do that. I don't know if it'll be next year, but they've definitely put themselves in a position for the future to really take it a significant step. Yeah, I think on that move, I like it from the Spurs too, because if you're entering a rebuild to get those first for Murray when you're not going to compete in the next few years, it makes sense, right? Instead of having to pay him huge money to be on a bad team. He's the kind of player that I see, and I, I'm curious how you think he's better being a supporting cast on a contending team than like the go-to guy in a bad team. I think it fits him more and with the basketball and defensively. So I, I like the move of the Hawks too. I think that backcourt now is one of the best in basketball for sure. I think he adds a defensive presence that's much needed in Atlanta. I mean, yeah, especially Young, with, with Trey Young's, yeah, inability right. to defense. Oh, he's a liability on defense. Yeah. The guy can shoot the lights out of the room, but you drive towards him, he collapses like paper. So I think DeJounte Murray definitely adds something to that Hawks team that wasn't there before. I'm someone that was very high on the Hawks last year. They did not perform to the level I thought they would. Maybe this year's a little bit of that bounce back season for them. Yeah, for sure. I mean, like they had a similar arc, obviously making it all the way conference finals kind of slumped here. So this is, this is a big move for them. I think you saw their GM come out and say, we regret kind of just running it back similar to the Knicks in a sense. Um, they're a little bit better than Knicks. Regret running it back, and that's not what they did all this offseason. So you have to be aggressive when you have Trey Young locked up for sure. Most definitely. So DeJounte Murray, maybe a game changer in Atlanta. We'll find out. Good supporting piece, but even those guys can make all the difference. Ryan, what do you got for us? Yeah, so the move that I love the most is Malcolm Brogdon to the Celtics. I, I said something earlier how like a 2K trade versus a real trade. This was a 2K trade in the NBA because the Celtics just took five players or four players that were never going to touch the court in a meaningful minute. 
threw one first in there, and they're going to be good regardless. So that first is late 20s, and they got a huge impact player. Malcolm Brogdon, 19-5-5, and good defense as well. The question with him is health, and that is a huge question for sure. Only 49 games the last three years. That's the average, only 33 last year. But if you get him healthy, the parallel that I make, and not in terms of necessarily their skill set, but this could be the Celtics' Drew Holiday that the Bucs got, that kind of got them over the top. Big game defense in the playoffs, big buckets too. I think Malcolm Brogdon, they really needed that floor general consistently pass with the basketball. That's exactly what Brogdon can be. It made sense on the Pacers to trade him, you know, 29-year-old injury-prone guy. But the package that was given up, what a job by Brad Stevens to convince the Pacers front office that this was legit package. I mean, it's headlined by Daniel Tice, guys. Like that, No offense to him, but that's an unbelievable deal for the Celtics. So this is a move I could totally see being the best of the offseason. You can see that smile. It's genuine <laughs> because we get to wave goodbye to say goodbye, and we got a point card now up in Boston. It's going to be great. I, I, You know, last year watching the finals, it was so clear that this team needed ball handling from a professional standpoint, someone who's trying to look at it as unbiased as possible. It was very clear that this was the type of team that needed ball handling. And even Draymond Green, after this signing was made, or this trade rather was made official, even Draymond Green was like, oh, this could be the move of, the offseason for Boston to get Malcolm Brogdon. Ryan, you mentioned this is the type of guy that's a good playmaker. There's concerns about his injury history. The Achilles has been a little bit of a Achilles heel for him, if you will. So if he's able to stay on the court, what I like about this is that it takes the ball out of Marcus Smart's hands. And I don't mean that in a bad way. I mean that in the way that he's better served trying to score and trying to facilitate from a wing than actually bringing the ball up the court himself and then looking for Tatum or Brown, who's just going to dribble it even more like Julius Randle and try and make a shot on an ISO play. Malcolm Brogdon gives you a little bit more movement that you didn't have before. I'd equate him to a more skilled version of Derek White, a quicker version of Derek White, and we saw how much Derek White was able to affect the Celtics down the stretch. Really, if you're the Celtics, you're feeling really good about where you are in the East. There's no excuses now. There is no excuse not to win a championship within the next two years. None. Not one excuse. Wow. No, not anymore. Are you, I mean, cause he, everyone and their mother had said that it was a matter of experience that Tatum and Brown were going to have to grow into their own. I was one of the few people that maybe, you know, being a little harsh, being a new England sports fan said, no, that is not an excuse anymore. You had oh, I agree too. Especially, final. yeah, especially with like the path they had, Middleton getting hurt and stuff. Like they had a golden opportunity. You could make the case they were actually a better basketball team than the Warriors. I think, like on paper, in terms of how they played, you could certainly make that argument. So I do agree with that sense. And now it's like, all right, well, that was the one excuse. And now you just made your roster a lot better, especially Gallinari as well. Another great kind of under the radar move there. Everything they're missing, they now have. Yeah, now they don't have a single excuse in my mind. The defense should be just as good as it was last year. I'd argue it could be better with another year of Ime Odoka at the helm, who I owe a massive apology. I've been on the apology tour for Ime Odoka. I was not a fan of the hire at the time. I'm sorry, Ime, you've proven everybody wrong. I was just very concerned because Brad Stevens was the one that hired you, but it all's well that ends well now. Julia, what do you think about the Brogdon situation? It's looking good up in Beantown. 
Yeah, I think literally like could not have made a better trade for the Celtics. Like you guys said, I mean, you really hit the, the nail on the head with they really needed a ball handler and they got it and they did not give up a whole lot to get it either. They kept all the pieces that really propelled them to where they got last year. And they really just like they, they really just increased the roster without giving up a lot at all. Absolutely. And Ryan, you mentioned my pick. Oh, was it? Oh, no. Well, no, you, you kind of mentioned it. You didn't, you didn't say it. I'm not going with the Brogdon point guard one, but you mentioned it. Danilo Gallinari has to be my favorite signing of this offseason because for as much as the Celtics needed ball handling and playmaking, there were also times where they couldn't get a bucket and they didn't have someone that could create a bucket in the paint by themselves. What I mean by that is... Yeah, Tatum and Brown were very good at ISO ball. They could shoot it from the perimeter. All's fine, right? Good mid-range scorers there. I always questioned their ability to just tough it out and get a cheap bucket in the paint. Daniel Gallinari gives you that opportunity, and he's a good three-point scorer at that. He's the type of guy where I could see him playing at the Y, and I mean that in the kindest way possible because it doesn't look pretty all the time. He'll get the cheap rebound. He'll kind of huck it up, and it'll go in. He's always been that sort of player. And then there's also times where he gets a spot-up shot. It goes right in from three. So if you're the Celtics, this adds to your scoring depth. You didn't even have to give up anything to get him. You got him on the market. It wasn't like you had a trade for him. So it's just about adding those pieces that are going to make you a contender for the next couple of years. Scoring depth has been an issue for the Celtics for as long as I can remember after the Pierce era. So really just I'm – pleased with what I'm seeing from the Boston Celtics front office right now. I didn't think they were going to get Gallinari initially. There were rumors that maybe Philly was going to be in on that, but here he is. The leprechaun ain't dead, guys. <laughs> I was between those two guys, Brogdon and Gallinari. If there's one thing you can't have too many of in basketball, I think it's wings that can score, and that's exactly what he can do. Just add to that depth, and you didn't have to give up anything to get him. Fortunately for the, you know, the Celtics, the Spurs waved him. He's trying to get a ring. It's a good place to go, as we've mentioned. So just a perfect fit. And by far, to me, the winner of the offseason has been the Celtics with these two moves. Yeah, like, like you both said, I mean, this is just further proving that the Celtics have just absolutely killed this offseason so far. And like you said, Colin, I don't think there's there's room to really not make a deep playoff run next year. So with all these amazing acquisitions, it does put the pressure on a little bit, but I think Boston will welcome that pressure, especially after making the championship last year. And yeah, they've really just done an amazing job this off season. Don't get my hopes up guys. Do not get my hopes up. It has been a blast talking about the off season with both of you. That is going to do it for our show today. Along with Ryan Gregware and Julia Moss, I'm Colin Lochran saying so long. Be sure to listen to Pick and Pod on Spotify, WFUV.org, or wherever you get your podcasts. Pick and Pod is a production of WFUV Sports.